How do we say thank you to those who gave everything? How do we honor the men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom? We say thank you by remembering. Today, we honor our heroes. Lives given, not in vain, but with purpose. We stand grateful for their courage, their strength, and their resolve. For the fabric of America is stitched together by the thread of the brave. Today, we remember and we will never forget. They were called up to serve and they were sent out to sacrifice. Of course, many of them paid the ultimate sacrifice. And the men and women of our armed forces did that to secure our earthly peace. But God has his warriors too. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. And he sends out his warriors to secure eternal peace. The peace between himself and undeserving sinners. That's really been the kind of the theme of the book of Acts. That's what we've been studying the many months here. Um, the triumph of the gospel. Uh, Jesus had told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, sent out to serve, called up to serve, sent out to sacrifice the church of Jesus Christ, the triumph of the gospel. And um, Acts chapter 15, that we've been in for a couple weeks, um, as we wrap up that chapter, uh, there's uh, an example of some people who are called up to serve and they're sent out uh, to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, uh, for the triumph of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and welcome again to those online and down at F3. And of course, if you're visiting with us this morning, so glad you're here on this Memorial Day weekend uh, worshiping with us. Acts chapter 15. I've got it up on your screen, but uh, some verses there starting in verse 22, Acts chapter 15, verse 22. It says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas. They were leading men among the brethren. And so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. People who were sent out... <clears throat> Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. Um, the Jerusalem council was over. Uh, the 
the, the gathering of uh, key leaders, the apostles and the, and the elders of the church to discuss, to debate, to uh, come to some conclusions about a very important question, most important question really that could be asked. How does one get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? And as we saw last week, uh, there were people who um, were adding to that simple message of faith alone in Christ alone by simple grace alone. And it was disruptive to the early church. In fact, it could have been the death knell to the early church. If you don't get that one right, how do you get to heaven? You're not going to get anything right. And so they had convened in Jerusalem to hammer this out. And um, as we saw last week, uh, chapter 15, verse 7, 8, and 9, Peter, the great apostle Peter, gets up and he shares his experience of how God sent him to a group of Gentiles, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and he shared the simple good message, the good news message of Jesus. He simply witnessed to Jesus that he had died, that he rose again. He said, we are witnesses to these things. And Cornelius and his friends, his, his household, uh, they accepted Jesus, and the Spirit of God fell upon them. And they did nothing to receive that. Uh, Jewish people were saying, oh, you gotta, you got to come under Judaism. you got to be circumcised. you got to follow the Old Testament law. You've got, to, um, you've got to come under the dictates of the Mosaic system. Well, it didn't happen in Cornelius' home, and Peter says, I was a witness to that. God just saved these people simply when they believed Jesus. And then in verse 12, um, it says that um, all the people kept silent, and then they started listening to Barnabas and Paul, and they started sharing how they went to Gentiles, and, and God miraculously saved them, and through signs and wonders confirmed that it was a simple message of faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, that nothing was added to that. No demands were placed upon these Gentile believers. And God confirmed that through the signs and wonders that were uh, taking place in the lives of the Gentiles. So you would think that the just this Jerusalem council was coming to an end, that the issue had been settled. Peter's testimony of his experience and and uh, Paul, or Paul and Barnabas and their experience of God confirming it with signs and wonders. Um, nobody could question it. The issue had been settled. Well, not quite. In fact, there was one more piece of evidence that had to take place. And that important piece of evidence came from the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, the apostle James. James. What was that all-important piece that had to be shared that just wasn't enough for Peter to share his experience and wasn't quite enough for Paul and Barnabas to share their experience? One more thing had to happen, and that was opening the Bible. What does God's Word have to say? And that's what James provided. It's interesting that James was the one who wrote the first epistle in the New Testament that bears his name. And it, it's, it was James who would say things like, um, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word 
and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Uh, very fitting that James would stand up in this Jerusalem council and says, God has said something about this. God's word speaks to this. The final authority is God's word. So let's read what uh, James says, starting in verse 13. So after they had stopped speaking, Paul and, and, and Barnabas, after they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, and that would be the Hebrew name for Simon Peter, Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And then he says this in verse 15. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and these, after these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. Now, we're, we're going to compare this with what Amos actually said. He's quoting from the book of Amos. But um, let's keep reading. He says, after these things I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild the ruins, and I will restore it. And then he says in verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. And then he says in verse 19, therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. What is James doing? In his wisdom and in his love for the scriptures, he says, and I'm kind of inserting this, but it's like he's saying, thanks, Peter, that's a great testimony. Thanks for sharing that about going to Cornelius' house, for sharing that experience. And Paul, Barnabas, can't improve on that. Signs and wonders and the Gentiles are receiving the, the gift of the Holy Spirit simply by believing in Jesus. Got it. Wonderful experiences. But let's wrap up this Jerusalem council with the most important piece of evidence. Open your Bibles to Amos chapter 9. <laughs> now, there's some interesting things what, Amos, uh, what James is doing here with the quote from the book of Amos. And by the way, isn't that amazing? He, what was the last time you said, you know, as the prophet Amos once said, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, but these men are so full of the scriptures and they're so full of the Holy Spirit and and the Spirit of God brought that to mind. I, I know it. He's quoting from the book of Amos. And I, I want you to notice some things that he says here. Back in verse 15, he says, With this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. The words of the prophet agree. Now, James is not saying anything about Amos is being fulfilled here. He doesn't say the... the, the the Gentiles becoming believers by simple faith alone in Christ alone through grace alone, not coming under the Judaistic system, is a fulfillment of Amos' prophecy. He doesn't say that, but he simply says, look, what is happening here? The free gift given to rank pagans, enemies of Judaism, the free gift, the prophets agree with that. And notice he, it's a plural he, just, he quotes Amos, but he's saying, check any of the Old Testament prophets. They agree with this. They're, we're in line with this. What's happening here with the Gentiles does not run contrary to the prophets of the Old Testament. And then he quotes James, or Amos. Now, there's a little difference in how he quotes it. So Amos said in Amos 9-11, 
in that day I will raise up fallen, the fallen tabernacle of David. Uh, James says, after these things I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. A little different. The actual Hebrew text of Amos says, in that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. And James says, Amos said, um, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Uh, is James taking a little bit of license here, a little uh, liberty with the scriptures? Uh, well, I don't think so. I mean, he's writing under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. Uh, but I think what James is doing is interpreting the meaning of Amos. Now, I shared this last night at the, our FSAT service, and I, 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 don't, I don't think it came out very clearly. So let me give it another shot this morning in F1. Um, James is, is, adds this opening phrase, after these things I will return. That is not in Amos as it's written. Amos simply said, in that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. James says, Amos said, after these things I will return. So he's interpreting what Amos is saying. Now if we go back to the book of Amos, and, uh, and I've got it up on the screen, won't take the time to do that, but there's these nine chapters of Amos. There is, throughout the book of Amos, there is this sense of, uh, of coming judgment. God is upset with Israel, his people. This is 8th century. This is close to the time of Isaiah the prophet, 8th century B.C. And God is saying through the prophet Amos uh, to Israel, you've sinned, I've had it. Judgment's coming. I've given you incredible grace. I have prolonged the inevitable, but you continue to sin, and therefore judgment's coming. So he says, in, as an example, Amos chapter 9, 9 and 10, for behold, I'm am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not one kernel will fall to the ground. In other words, this is going to be a complete, total shaking up of Israel, and all sinners of my people will die by the sword. That's kind of been the basic uh, uh, thinking of the book of Amos. Judgment's coming, I've had it, you're going to die by the sword because I'm going to, fall, I'm going to lay out my judgment upon you. But then the final verses of Amos... So we keep reading in Amos chapter 9, verse 11 then says, In that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David and the wall of its breaches, and I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. I will restore the captivity of my people. I will plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out of their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now that's what James quotes. In that day... I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David and wall of its branches. Amos 9, verse 11, that's what he's alluding to. Although he said, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David and, and wall up its breaches and so on and so forth. Um, what's, what's James see in Amos that he's interpreting here? Why is he going to Amos 9 at the end of the Jerusalem council, the nail in the coffin of the people who were saying, you got to be Jews, you got to come under the Mosaic law to be saved. What is James seeing in Amos that is so important that it, it wraps up the Jerusalem council so effectively? Well, 
what James is saying is God is saying through the prophet Amos that there is a judgment coming upon Israel. But after the judgment, God is going to return. After these things, I will return. Amos said, in that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. In that day, I'm going to restore the captivity of my people. In that day, or after these things, James says, after the judgment, God is going to bring the people back into the land. They were uprooted from the land in judgment. I'm going to replant them back in the land. That's what Amos says. 9, 11 through 15, I'm going to replant them back in the land and never again will they be uprooted from the land. Now, when it, what, What's Amos referring to? What is James understanding James is referring to? Well, James is saying that Amos is talking about the time when the Messiah is going to return. After these things, the judgment that comes, I will return. And I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I will plant them back again into the land. And never again will they be uprooted from the land. All the Old Testament prophets, we saw this when we studied the book of Isaiah, all the Old Testament prophets talked about a time of great judgment that's going to fall uh, upon Israel. It's called the time of Jacob's troubles. Jesus referred to it. A time of great tribulation that's going to fall a time of, of, of uh, a judgment against the Jewish people. Daniel talked about it. The final 70th week of Daniel, there's 70 weeks of seven sets of seven years uh, for, decreed from a Jewish people. There's a final seven week of judgment that's going to fall. And then after these things, I will return. Let's talk about the return of the Messiah. That's what the Old Testament prophets, with this the prophets agree. The Messiah is going to return. He's going to plant his people back in the land and never again will they be uprooted. Now when in human history has that happened? Where the Jewish people have been brought back from judgment, where they have been stripped and taken from their land and brought back into the land and never again uprooted. I don't, it hasn't happened. Um... The Assyrians came in 722 B.C. and they took the northern kingdom of Israel and took them off into captivity. 586 B.C., the southern remaining two kingdoms of Judah and, and um, Benjamin were taken off into captivity into Babylon. Oh, 50, 70 years later, 50,000 Jews returned under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra. Um, but did they stay permanently? No, because in 70 AD, the Roman soldiers and legions came in and they sacked Jerusalem. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says over a million Jewish people were slaughtered. The holdouts at Masada hung on for a few more years, and then they were destroyed. And for all intents and purposes, you come to the second century, and the Jewish people are no longer in Israel at all, in Palestine. Until 1948, when they became a nation again, and in our own generation, we've seen this happen. God is saying, through the prophet Amos, interpreted by James in Acts 15, that after a time of great judgment, the Messiah is going to return. He's going to bring bless, blessing to the people of Israel. 
They're going to be replanted in their land, and they will never again be uprooted from that land. It hasn't happened in human history, unless it's happening maybe now, or the beginnings of it, the precursor of it now. Now, um, James continues. That, the, the, there, there's an, uh, something else that James says that is a little deviation from Amos. In, again, in verse 11 and 12, Amos says this, In that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David, wall up its breaches, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations, the Gentiles, who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. What did James say, Amos said? Well, James put it this way. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Just a little bit of a deviation. Um, Amos said, the remnant of Edom. James interprets that as the rest of mankind. And there's reasons why he did that. But the, folk, the main point of what James is saying here is that, are you with me here? Is this clear as mud? Did I destroy this as I did Saturday night? Um, what James is saying, the point is, is he's focusing right there on the rest of mankind, on the Gentiles who are called by my name. There is a day coming, according to the prophets, example Amos, that's what James is saying. Take Amos, take any of the prophets. He said, let me quote from Amos. There's a day coming after a final judgment upon Israel when Messiah will return, this messianic age begins, that we're going to see Gentiles called by my name. The Gentile people are going to be blessed. It's going to be a fulfillment of what God had promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In you, Abraham, all the peoples, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And in that day, when Messiah returns, the Gentiles are going to be saved, they're going to be blessed, and they're not going to be encumbered by the Judaistic system of the Mosaic law. They're going to be given the free gift of grace and called by the name of the Lord. Now here's James's point. He's simply saying, if that's going to happen in that age to come, in that messianic age, it certainly can happen now. The prophets agree. With this, the prophets agree. Gentiles can Pagan, undeserving sinners can be given the free gift of eternal life. They can be called by my name. It's going to happen in the age to come, says James. It's happening right now. That's what James is saying. This agrees, the prophets agree with what is happening today. That's his whole point in quoting Amos. And his conclusion again in verse 19 Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, from what is strangled, from blood, from Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he's read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, what is James adding here? He's simply saying, the free gift of God's grace is given to the Gentiles. 
Let's accept that. The prophets agree with that. But knowing our brethren, our Jewish brethren's sensitivity to certain things, knowing that we've got a, a colliding of cultures happening now in this transitional time coming out of the Old Testament into the New Testament, this transitional time where God's chosen people, the Jews, who thought they were the only chosen people, are now colliding with this, with this new work of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Gentile dogs. And now we're becoming brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all coming a part of one body, one family of God. So Gentiles have some sensibility here, knowing this colliding of cultures, because there are some things that are really, really sensitive to Jewish people. And as we go and share the gospel around the, the world to the uttermost part of the earth, we're going to start with the synagogues and the Jewish people to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. But um, let's be sensitive in these early years of the church gathering. And there are four things that James says we need to be sensitive about. Four, four things that he's saying, guys, gals in the Gentile word, abstain from these four things. Just, just if, for communal fellowship in the body. For the beginning of this church, and we're colliding these cultures together, there are four things we want you to abstain from, just because of communal fellowship, because just have some sensitivity to the Jewish people. Because this... Gentiles coming into your fellowship is like is worse than nails on a chalkboard. I mean, they just can't stand this. So here are four things we want you to be careful of. And he mentions four things. First of all, things contaminated by idols. Food that was sacrificed to idols. No big deal for Gentiles. Good steak, if it had been sacrificed to idols, so what? I'm still going to eat it. In fact, the Apostle Paul would later say in Corinthians, you know, it's no big deal unless it stumbles somebody, but you can eat whatever you want, but if it stumbles somebody, then, then just abstain from it. That's what uh, James is saying, things are contaminated by idols. And then second of all, he says, and from fornication. That's the word pornea, where we get our word pornography. Abstain from fornication. Well, who wouldn't abstain from that? That's a Jewish Gentile. I mean, that's, you shouldn't do that anyway, right? Um, what James is alluding to here. There are some Levitical laws in Leviticus chapter 17 and chapter 18 that he's referring to here. There are some Levitical um, um, practices that were very sensitive to Jewish people, like things offered to idols. And if you go back to Levit Leviticus 18, certain marriages between near relatives the law said you can't do that. You, you can't marry your second cousin once removed. Um, no problem from the Gentile world, uh, no moral code that says you couldn't, but in the Jewish law code of Le Leviticus 18, that was labeled pornea, fornication. These are all Jewish uh, um, regulations from the book of Leviticus that the Jews were very sensitive to. Things strangled, can't do that. Leviticus chapter 17, of taking things with blood, you can't do that. Leviticus, the Levitical law, 17 and 18, these, this is what James is referring to. Sensitivities of the Jewish people, why well, would never do that? 
no problem with the, with the Gentile world. But James is saying, look, that's going to really tweak the beak of the Jews. And you're coming together here as a body of Christ in communal fellowship. These four things are really going to upset the Jewish people because they're part of a law code in the Levitical law code, and they're steeped in this. We're just asking you, be sensitive and abstain from those things. That's what James is saying. So when he starts, when the, 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 the church starts sending out Paul and Barnabas again and going to the outermost part of the world, they said, let's write a letter. The authority of the Jerusalem church leaders, the apostles and the elders, let's just write a letter that kind of explains that. So when you go out back into the Gentile world, you've got something in writing to say that. So back in Acts chapter 15, that's what they do. Verse 22 again, that we read earlier. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose the men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. And here is the letter starting in verse 23. Isn't this amazing, by the way? Right now, today, May 28, 2023, we're going to read a letter that James and the elders and the apostles wrote 2,000 years ago. And this is what they said. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia and from the Gentiles, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, that is the Jewish people, to whom we gave no instruction... We didn't send them out. They did this on their own. And they disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. What was that words? You got to come under Judaism to be saved. You got to obey the Mosaic law to be saved. We didn't send them out. We didn't tell them to do that. They did this on their own. They disturbed you. They, it was very unsettling. Well, verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we've sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of the mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication, and if you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. We're going to put on you no burden. We're asking you to abstain from these things because of sensitivity to the Jewish people. But salvation is a free gift. You get to heaven, you are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, when you simply put faith in Christ only. Um, and they sent out. The threat of the veracity of the gospel is averted. This Jerusalem council that we've talked about now for three weeks, this was crucial. Can you imagine, and, and so they write this letter and they send out, can you imagine what the churches and the believers in Antioch and different places where these Gentiles were gathering, where they were coming to Christ because of the testimony of Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Cornelius and all these people? Can you imagine what they must have thought when they heard about this big gathering down in Jerusalem to hammer this out? We, we, we thought it was a free gift. That's what Paul told us. It's a free gift. That's what P Peter came and told us that if you just believe in Jesus, 
And we, the Holy Spirit has descended upon us, but now they're, they're debating this in Jerusalem? What, what, what are they going to conclude? And so they wait. They wait. Weeks maybe go by, maybe a few months. Paul and Barnabas have gone down to Jerusalem. Peter's gathering all the big leaders. James, the leader of the church, the, the, the apostles, they're, they're convening this, this council to hammer this out, to affirm how do we get saved? How does one get to heaven? Have we been fed a line? These Gentile believers are thinking. And so they wait. And then one day they see Paul and Barnabas coming. Oh boy, they got two guys with them. Judas of Barsabbas and Silas. Sweaty palms. They break out in a cold sweat. What are they going to say? Are they going to put us under the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law? Are they going to force upon us things that we have to do to get to heaven? Paul and Barnabas come into the assemblies and they say, we have a letter. We have a letter from the leaders in Jerusalem. They're all gathered. They're all waiting. Silence. And then Paul reads the letter. We're going to put upon you any burden. There are some sensitivity things with the Jewish people. We're just going to ask you to abstain from these things. But salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's simple grace alone. You are saved freely by believing in Jesus. And those churches would have erupted. Can you imagine the, the hallelujahs and the praise of the Lord's? Woo! It is free. It is free. Thank God Almighty. It's a free gift that is given to us. And they celebrate because the message had been declared by the Jerusalem leaders. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by simple grace of God alone. The message and the triumph of the gospel continues. And why? Why would the celebrations take place? Why, why was that conclusion reached? Why was the, 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 the potential end of the church before it hardly ever got off the ground was averted? Why the good news at the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council? Because James got up, opened the Bible, and says, with this, the prophets agree. He opened up the Scriptures he based it and rooted it. Oh, Peter's testimony and his story of what happened in Cornelius, man, that was, that was worth listening to. And the stories that Paul and Barnabas are sharing of, of the outpouring of the Spirit and the signs and wonders, oh man, that. The Bible says, the Scriptures says, with this the prophets agree. That was the key. And folks, when it's all said and done, it's God's word that should inform our every decision in life. The most important question we could ask ourselves is, in any life decision, what does God's word say on this? What does the Bible say? Has God spoken into this? What, what, what has he said on this or that issue?
What does God's word say? I was listening this week to um, Dr. Al Mohler's podcast. It's called The Briefing. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a great little 20-minute, 25-minute uh, podcast. I recommend it to you. But um, he, he mentioned a, a term, and I don't know if I'd ever heard the term before. The concept I had is called communitarianism. Communitarianism. I'd never heard of it before, although it was coined back in 1841, so shows you where I've lived, I guess, but um, basically the idea of communitarianism is that the interests of the, of the community, of the whole, supersede the interests of the individual. And he was talking about in the podcast how morals and values are shaped by what's the most popular thinking of the day. And it's a kind of a collectivism of ideas that are, are brought together and the community shapes the morals. It's the community that agrees upon the values and then puts pressure on the individual to abide by those agreed upon large general community values and morals. The community dictates the morals. And there's some good aspects of communitarianism. But it gets really dicey when you trust the community to come up with things like what constitutes human life. When does life begin? Well, let's all get together and decide that. And then the, the majority uh, of community will determine. And then if you have a different view, well, you've got to jettison that individual view. Or how about this one? What constitutes marriage? Do we leave it to the community to determine that moral, that value? Who determines the values by which we educate our children? There's a hot one. The larger community? Or who determines the definition of what is male and female? The, the larger community? That's what's seemingly happening today. We have a Supreme Court justice who couldn't answer in questioning uh, the definition of a woman. Where did that come from? Good grief, what has happened in our society? Communitarianism. The values, the morals of the whole begin to shape the values of the whole society. The problem is it becomes a moving target because if the community changes, then the values, the morals that they dictate will change with the community. As followers of Jesus Christ, however, we have the scriptures. We have God's word the endearing, abiding, enduring scriptures. Almighty Creator God has graciously communicated to us who He is. He's graciously condescended to us in communicating His truth through holy men of old who under divine inspiration, as they picked up that quill and, and moved that quill across the parchment, under divine inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, they wrote down without error the heart of God and his truth. It's collected, called the Bible. His truth, the word of God. And sadly today, oftentimes within the church, even of Jesus Christ, 
we'll read what some great scholar said or what this person, what this book says or, or this podcast is saying. And so seldom it seems like we study to show ourselves approved unto God. But the scriptures, like workmen who need not be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. I love this quote by Jonathan Wesley. I've shared it before, the great revivalist and founder of Methodism. He said, I'm a creature of a day. I'm passing through life as an arrow through the air. I'm a spirit coming from God, returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. And a few months more, and I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. And so I want to I know one thing. I want to know the way to heaven. And God himself has condescended to teach the way. And he's written it down in a book. And Wesley says, oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. How do we know that because of God's sheer grace, when we put our faith in Christ and Christ alone, we have eternal life, and he'll never take it away from us. Where does that come from? The Bible tells me so. How do we know how to raise our families? How do we know how to respond to each other's situations and trials and tribulations? How do we know how to maneuver through life and the, the complexities of decisions that have to be made? We go to his word, and we seek him diligently. We come with an open heart and say, Lord, I, I, I am, I'm being bombarded by all the worldly wisdom that there is. It's thrown at me. Lord, show me where my thinking isn't in line with yours. Show me where I've embraced communitarianism. <laughs> show me how I'm being shaped by what others might think. Help me to see what your truth is. Help me to understand what the prophets have said, what your word says. And when it comes to eternal salvation, God has spoken. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Peter said in Acts 4, there is salvation, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There is no way other than through Jesus Christ and him alone the free gift of grace. If you're here today, if you've never put your trust in Christ, if you're still trying to maybe earn that spot in heaven by your good works or just obedience to religious laws, the good news of the Bible is, well, you can't do that, but what you couldn't do, Jesus Christ did. He came and he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. He took our sin upon himself and he died in our place. And he rose again on the third day to offer anyone the free gift of eternal life. How do we know that? The Bible tells us so. Let's pray. And Father, I thank you for the wisdom of James who after hearing all the experiences and testimonies of others simply went to your word 
He said, with this, the prophets agree. End of debate. The issue is settled. Because the Bible speaks into it. Father, I pray that um, you will continue here at Fellowship Bible Church to help us be men and women of the book. That we will increasingly grow in the grace and knowledge of you. That we will be as what Paul said in Timothy, what the church should be, the pillar and support of truth. To, within our own assembly, Father, here, um, see that prayer answered, Lord Jesus, that you prayed that high priestly prayer, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. Help us to love your word because it reveals you to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.